Hello and welcome to the Week 2 Coach Ranking Show. I am your host, Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst at Football Outsiders. And joining me as always, my co-host, Vince Berhai, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Now, we don't have our full rankings yet. There are still a handful of teams uh, that haven't had very many significant fourth down situations yet. We'll get to those in the coming weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the worst and some of the best decisions on fourth down from the past weekend. We'll also look at some matchups coming up this weekend that are some of the biggest matchups that Buffalo-Miami, the one I think everyone's got circled this week. And then we'll also recap uh, here at the top that matchup between Andy Reid and Brandon Staley. I know it was last Thursday, but there was a lot going on between those two teams. Before we get in, Vince, I got a question for you. Do you like free money? You know, Ian, I really, really do. I, all right. I think most people would say that. And we've got great news for those of you out there watching that do like free money. If you play on Underdog Fantasy with us, you can double your first deposit. They'll give you up to $100 for free. Promo code OUTSIDERS. So just make a deposit. They'll double your deposit up to $100. And even with the NFL best ball season over, Underdog does have other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the NFL games. You can do their Battle Royale, which is a six-round best ball style draft with simpler chances to win than you traditionally see in some of those daily fantasy sports sites. We're going up against hundreds of thousands of people. You can also try their Pick'em games where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. That's one that I really like to do. Did that on Monday night. Mike Tanier and I talked through that on our Monday recap show. I actually won that one, so it was a good Monday night. But you can do that even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, so join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. Now we'll jump right into that recap I mentioned from last week, the big matchup on Thursday night. Was a really good one. Now, the Chiefs got up, or sorry, Chargers got up. The Chiefs came back, went up. It kind of got boring. And then Justin Herbert <laughs> made some magic there at the end of the game. They fell short, had a chance to recover that onside kick, weren't able to get it. But Vince, what did you see from this game? I know we previewed the coaching strategies as far as uh, we talked about not blitzing Mahomes. We yeah. saw Arizona kind of mess that up the week before. What happened in that game on Thursday night? Well, we, we said the Chargers would need to, uh, you know, use a lot of zone coverage, drop guys back, take away the deep ball, and try to rely on their front four to win. And uh, I wrote in quick reads this week, what was Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, standout stat this week? He was the week's best passer on throws to his running backs. Wow. He did all eight of his passes for 50 yards and a touchdown. That's very good for the Chiefs and all, but Chiefs wide receivers only got 10 passes. None of them had more than 50 yards. And... Uh, you know, it was a much quieter day from 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 Mahomes, but much quieter day from the Chiefs. And frankly, the Chargers should have won, except for one huge critical mistake: the the pick six thrown to Gerald Everett when he was exhausted and trying to tap out. And if, if it's not for that one critical error, the Chargers probably win this game by maybe even a couple of scores. Yeah, a couple other mistakes that that was the big one: the pick six. Obviously, Asante Samuel Jr. also had a couple interceptions that he should have had for the Chargers. Uh, wasn't able to corral those. Um, a couple days later, the very next day on Friday night, his alma mater, Florida State, did get a big interception to win the game <laughs> against uh, Louisville. But Asante Samuel really struggled. He's going to want a couple of those back. Obviously, there were a lot of other chances. The Chargers, as you mentioned, were kind of in control up to that point. And just really that big mistake, Everett wanted out going up tempo, and it, it did not look good. Now, as far as the fourth down aggressiveness, that's something that we talked about last week. It was a little different than we expected these coaches to be pretty aggressive. They weren't. Andy Reid had uh, had a fourth and goal at the one where he chose to kick the field goal, usually pretty strong. This was down three at the start of the fourth quarter. 
I know kicking the field goal ties the game, but again, Andy Reid, you usually see be more aggressive, especially late in the game when he needs to. Got the field goal, tied it up, obviously went on to win. Earlier in the game, had a, a fourth and one at his own 29. That one is a lot different. That's one the model typically likes, as we know, because it's a one-yard. If you only need one yard, you've got Mahomes. That Chargers defense was was looking pretty good on, on Thursday, but we'd like to see him go for that. You really can't fault him in their own territory early in the game, but still the numbers bear out that you're going to convert that more often than not. But can't the big one, I think, is that fourth and goal at the one. And then Brandon Staley actually had a, he had one big one that he missed Fourth and two around midfield with a minute left in quarter in the second quarter up three. I thought this was more of a situational thing. Only a minute left and they're up three. And you give the ball back to Mahomes at midfield with a minute left. He can turn that into a touchdown pretty quickly. We've seen what he can do with less than a minute. But yeah. overall, it seemed like they weren't as aggressive as we would expect them to be in this game on Thursday night. Did you get that same feeling? Well, I did go for it uh, fourth on four times on fourth down by the end of the game, and they converted all four of them. Uh, maybe those were all later opportunities. Maybe they weren't as aggressive early. In, in they did have two of them early, uh, one in the, the end of the fourth, first quarter at midfield on a fourth and one, and then later in the uh, at fourth and one from the 18. So you're right. They were pretty aggressive. He had the one big one. Um, yeah. But, yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, I, I – um, <laughs> the answer is I don't know. You, you kind of need to ask Brandon Staley what was going through his mind each one of these picks. Um Something he saw in the Kansas City defense that he didn't like, something that maybe he thought they uh, they were expecting, or, or you know didn't see any weaknesses they could exploit. And uh, it, it is hard because when the, when the other quarterbacks Patrick Mahomes, you, you you have to be afraid of what he can do with the ball in good field position, but also afraid of giving the ball back to him in the first place. So yeah. it's a really tricky balancing act. And uh, we we can talk about one specific call here or there, but I'm you know over the. Um, I don't want to get to uh, overreact to the results of one game. I don't right. want to, you know, make make a bigger deal out of it than it is. It's 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 interesting, and uh, we'll see if it continues. But you know, the, when you when you play the Chiefs, you got to you can't run your normal strategy. You need you need to change things up. Yeah, and like you said, whether Mahomes, you give punt the ball back to him, and you know he's inside his own ten yard line, it, he's still dangerous. If you give him the ball at midfield, it's still dangerous. So totally agree. It's kind of a, a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't in that situation. But I'm kind of wondering, and this has come up internally, we've talked about it, if with Staley it has to do with some of the media pushback he got last year, not only in that Raiders game at the end of the year, but throughout the year going for it in his own territory. Or Mike uh, on Monday brought up a good point of just the Chargers overall have a better defense, and they looked really good up to that point. I think in three drives the Chiefs punted twice and scored, you know, had had a touchdown. But the, the Chargers defense was playing very well. That's also true. He made us trust his defense more than he trusted it last year. That uh, if, if you're looking for a specific reason, that's better than anything else I can give you because uh, the Chargers defense has played pretty well through two games. Yeah, and most of these guys, I expect Staley the same way. Obviously, they, they listen to the media. Sometimes they, they come back at them on some of these questions. We saw Shanahan get a little upset on that question about Trey Lance, understandably. But I, I can't expect a guy like Staley would just give up his, his, uh, his, his aggressiveness because the media said, oh, why did you do that? That was a bad decision. Uh, so, yeah, I think the defense, like you said, I would agree that that's probably the best explanation, but it's only been two games, like to your point. So if as the season goes on, this could become more of a trend, and then we'll we'll be kind of analyzing what he's doing and why he's doing things differently. But overall, uh, we'll just have to wait and see there. Now, one guy we talked about last week, I think everyone in the in the world was talking about him. We said he would learn from his mistakes, Nathaniel Hackett. 
but he didn't. He made some big mistakes again this week. Um, he what, made different mistakes. I, I mentioned on the FO Data Show on uh, Tuesday that this here show, the Coach Show, we should just rename it to "What Stupid Thing Will Nathaniel Hackett Do Next?" Because uh, it's it's a contest. How how will he look like a clown this week? Yeah, this week he. Had a fourth and goal at the one, 23 seconds left in the first half. This is, I think, the big one. They take a delay game, which has been a huge problem. Uh, this comes yeah. up later in the game as well, but to the point where the Broncos crowd was half supportively, I think half or more than half mockingly, counting down the play clock so yes. that they would know what it is like you would see opponents do in a basketball game, except counting down from five when there's really 15 seconds left. But they were right. doing it. They took a delay game and then kicked the field goal. This one is a little understandable. Uh, or defensible, I guess, if you will. 23 seconds left. You don't have as much of that equity as if you fail. Yeah. Your opponent's on the one-yard line. You can get a safety. They're still you know, going to have to run a play or two at that point, and the, the Broncos could call timeouts to make them get out of the end zone. But it's not like you've got 10 minutes left and you've got a really good shot at a safety. But, I mean, the, the, I think we talked about this last week. You gave Russell Wilson a ton of money. You traded for him, gave him a bunch of money, and set, on several occasions – they didn't put the ball in his hands. And I'll let you talk about the the big one, I think, is that fourth and two at the 36, taking the delay of game and then punting. So I didn't uh, see the first half here. So I don't know if this fourth and goal, the one delay of game, I don't know if that was strategy or if they uh, screwed up. I know they're screwing up a lot. Um, I will say fourth and six is a lot different than fourth and fourth and fourth and goal in the six is a lot different than fourth and goal. At the one. Once you're at the six, I'm kicking and I'm, I'm Pissed about it, but I'm kicking. Uh, but it, 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 if that was a strategic choice they made to try and just run all the time off they had and kick the field goal, that's awful. That is absolutely awful. Um, now, the, the, the big one that you mentioned here, and I'll, I'll just do the intro. So it's uh, late in the third quarter, three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Denver's got the ball fourth and two at the Houston 36. I don't know the exact score here, but it was a close game. It was a one-score game either yep. way. With, with I think they were quarter. down three. It seems like the whole game they were down three. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So it's fourth and two. They're at the Houston 36-yard line. They take a delay a game and then punt. Last week on the show, we discussed their whole strategy. At the end of the game, they were going to beat the Seahawks by getting to the 46 and trying a field goal. That was the plan. That was the intent. That was the goal. Here they are 10 yards closer and in Denver, not in Seattle. And they turn down the field goal, choosing to punt. What's happening? What's going on? It's the kind of thing where if he made the same bad decision twice, at least you would know that he had a, a set of guidelines, a game plan, some kind of some kind of a, 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 a mindset he was sticking to. But... The flip and flopping from a, a terrible decision to kick a field goal to a terrible decision to punt, that is an indication that he has no idea what he's doing and is making this all up as he goes along. What happened there? <laughs> What's going on in Denver? Yeah, he's got a lot of questions to answer. And again, I said you would think he would have learned from his mistakes last week, didn't. But in this situation, too, prior to that fourth down play, I think they actually were in field goal formation on the fourth and two. Took the the end up getting a delay game. I don't know. I don't think that was intentional either. Uh, they've just got some big time time telling problems, clock watching problems. But on the third down play, it was third and one. Ran the ball with a tight end, 
Andrew Beck on kind of an mm-hmm. end around and lost a yard in that situation. It was by design an option play. There was a player that Beck had to run like speed option. He had a, he had a pitch yeah. option. He ended up keeping the ball. But Andrew Beck is a fourth year pro. He played 22 games in the past two years in 2020 and 21. In those 22 games, he never touched the ball one time. And now uh, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, who, by the way, has run a lot of options in his career. Mm-hmm. Not, not as much in the recently as he's gotten older, but he's, he's run the option a ton and knows how to pick up a yard. But we're not going to let him run the option. We're going to let Andrew Beck play the part of uh, Tommy Frazier, I guess, running the option here. It didn't work. Elements of guys maybe he's going for. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's zany. It's the only thing I can say is that it's zany. Um, and, and we talk, the, the biggest issue, frankly, um, it's not so much these individual decisions as just their complete inability to function as a football team. The, all the delay game penalties, um, you know, last week they were criticized for not calling a timeout at the end of the game this week, I guess, to avoid that criticism, they burned through all their timeouts. They had no more timeouts left halfway through the fourth quarter because they are calling so many timeouts to avoid a delay of game and still getting a lot of delays a game. So here we are, we're two games into the season, and they still look like a team that is in the first quarter of a, a preseason contest. That's, they're not ready for primetime yet. Now, all of that said, they still beat Houston. Yeah. All of that said, they should have beat Seattle except for some fumbles at the goal line. They should still be 2-0. So if, if, and this is a big giant if, and blinking capital red neon letters, if they can get their act together, this could still be a good football team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, getting their getting their act together because the first two teams that they lost to and barely beat are two teams that are not expected to be very good. And they're obviously in that AFC West going to have some very tough games, still have six games against the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs to go. So they're definitely going to have to get it together. We're probably at this point going to have to make a permanent segment, like you said, the title could just be what is Nathaniel Hackett going to do dumb this week. We'll have a, a, a segment d- devoted just to him every week this year, I think. <laughs> it's looking that way. And to, fr- to be frank, if he has a good game, we should still take a moment to credit him for, for, Absolutely. for, for fixing things. Yeah. So we'll see what happens next week. We said it last week. Hopefully he learns from these mistakes going into next week. But the way it's looked these first couple weeks – Not going to count on it, but we'll see. Now, there were some other coaches that made some bad decisions as well. We covered some of those bad or uh, suboptimal decisions. I I always hate to call them bad decisions because um, they're not bad in and of themselves, but suboptimal. We covered those. There's one that people may not have even noticed the game. They probably turned it off already. This was something I noticed on the Monday night game. We see this a lot in the NFL. It doesn't really make a huge difference uh, whether you go for it or not here, but Kevin O'Connell what we call kind of the surrender punt. Uh, I think there's the, the surrender punt index on Twitter, uh, the account that runs. Uh, fourth and 22 at their own 37. Kirk Cousins just got sacked on a third and 13 or something, third and 12. But there's only 820 left in the game. They're down 17. They need to score three times to win the game. Not likely, but it can't really happen if you punt the ball. I mean, you can score on defense. You can get – and they end up getting an interception – but you, you don't get credit for losing by less in the NFL. And I think we see this fairly often, and it's it's just kind of mind-blowing that you would see a team at the highest level just say, all right, you know, we're not we're not even going to try to get 22 yards and, and try and keep a comeback or get a comeback going. 
Yeah, I think maybe the sack on third down may have had a lot to do with that decision. Like, let's keep my quarterback healthy because, you know, if yeah. we don't have cousins, we're not winning anything. And, uh, um, and we're probably not winning this game either. It, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to jump on a guy for punting on a game that's down by 17 points. And, and you know, the stranger things have happened. There have been more miraculous comebacks, uh, as we'll talk to whoever we get to Miami, actually. But um, and the, know, the, odds were slim. The, the odds were slim. Uh, let's, let, let's escape our quarterback healthy, live to fight another day. Um, and like you say, it's not the reason they lost the game. And he, he could have, and if he had gone for it in fourth and 22, no one would have cared either. Maybe he would have lost 31 to 7. Who, who, it's not 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 a giant issue. Maybe Justin Jefferson makes a big play and they do a miracle rally. But um, yes, if his goal was to win this particular football game, he absolutely should have gone forward on fourth down there. But it's only week two. There's 17 weeks to go. Um, let's let, let's cut our losses. You know, do some damage control here. Uh, like you say, it doesn't matter if you you, you lose by 17 or lose by uh, what are we 24, or whatever whatever it is. So um, yeah, he he made the worst of a bad situation, but. I'm not going to turn apart for that. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, you know, help with the quarterback. We've seen anything can happen on a play. Again, bringing up Trey Lance, a pretty pretty common play, um, and and things can happen. And like you said, your, your your chances of winning aren't very high. You still you you hate to see a pro team essentially give up. But yeah, you make a, a ton of valid points. Can't, it's one of the another thing. Their win probability is like zero point one percent at that point anyway. So you said making the worst uh, of a bad situation, but. Totally agree. Long, long season. Um, first year coach too. Nothing, nothing as drastic as we've seen from Nathaniel Hackett. Um, so n- nothing really crazy. Another thing I mentioned uh, just there, kind of when we were talking the Jets that comeback. Um, I didn't have this here in my notes, but it reminded me of kind of something that people have been talking about a lot this week is Nick Chubb's decision not to go down uh, when he goes in to score that touchdown. We saw him do exactly that. I think two years ago. Yeah, uh, against Houston, he. Had a wide open touchdown and ran out of bounds of the two, so they can kneel out the clock. Yeah, and you, it, it, on one hand, I've seen both arguments against it. You know, from my perspective, having been here uh, for a few years, and what we look at is looking at the numbers. Um, if you go down, you take a knee. I think it would have been the two minute warning. The Jets had no timeouts. There's a hundred percent chance you win that game. I was barring something crazy on a kneel down, but you win that game. And, and people defending it, hey, you give your defense a fourteen point lead, you should be a or thirteen point lead with less than two minutes left, the defense should make stops. There were some blown coverages, some bad things that happened. Um, some bad, just defensive strategy, it looked like. But at the same time, when you've got a chance to get your win probability, get your chance of winning to 100% where the, the other team doesn't even get the ball, doesn't even get that chance, you've, you've got to make that. And we said, you know, Chubb has done that before. And I think we would have liked to see it. But at the same time, Cleveland definitely should have won that game. There's no reason they should have lost. No, I mean – the numbers are very obvious, and you know, even most Madden players can, can do the math on this. And if he goes down, they automatically win the game. And um, if he scores, you're just playing for fantasy points. And you know, is it Nick Chubb's fault that Cleveland lost? No, it is not. It's the yeah. defense and the uh, special teams that allowed the onside kick recovery. Absolutely. And in it's one of those things you know he has done it before. We've seen players do it before, but telling a pro athlete who is that competitive, don't try to score. In the heat of the moment, that's a really, really hard thing to do, and especially because they were already ahead. You know, you made it even a two-score lead. Um, if, if it would be much harsher if the game had been tied, for example, or they'd only been up by one, 
and he scored that, that, that was the, the Todd Gurley situation with, with the Falcons a year yeah. or two ago. Yeah, just he literally ago. accidentally scored a touchdown. He was trying to go down, the defense dragged him into the end zone so he could get the ball back. And, uh, you know, it, 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 that would be a more severe situation because that's that's the one where you're all you're preaching, you know, game awareness, clock awareness, you know, field, field position management. Uh, this is one where we're already ahead. This is ice this thing. So he scored. The defense screwed up. The special team screwed up. It happens. Uh, it would have been better if he had gone down, but it's not Nick Chubb's fault that Cleveland lost that game. 100% agree. Uh, defense special teams definitely had a shot to win it. You, that's all you can do as an offense is set your defense up, give a give them a lead to protect, and Cleveland just could not do it. It, it might be the curse of Brownie the Elf. I don't know. We'll, we'll see coming <laughs> in uh, Thursday night. I think that's at Cleveland, isn't it? Uh, Steelers and Browns is the game. Yeah, I believe they're in Cleveland, so hopefully they can come back from that and uh, mm-hmm. do a little bit better. Yeah, at Cleveland on Thursday. So. All right. Hopefully it's not a curse. We will see, <laughs> but just a few, just uh, one more day until until we find out. So going on to the positive side, like we like to do as well, we do give credit where credit is due. We're not all bad when it comes to these fourth down decisions. Cliff Kingsbury had a, a good decision, one that we don't see a lot. Andy Reid had one of these, a similar one in overtime a couple years ago. Cardinals had fourth and one at the Vegas 37 on the first possession of overtime after Kyler Murray basically willed them <laughs> to, to tie this game and scrambled around all over the place what seemed like hours uh, on Sunday afternoon. But have a chance to kick a long field goal. Uh, Matt Prater, we know, can make those field goals. It would have been about a 55-yarder there. Uh, but Vegas can still win with a touchdown. Yeah, you take a lead, they can also kick a field goal, tie it. This one could end in a tie. The offense did struggle most of the game, but the way Murray played lately and just in general, should we expect him to pick up one yard? They went deep. Actually had a great a great play to Hollywood Brown, and then Deron Harmon came in with a, a great play, hard hit on Brown that knocked the ball loose. Didn't pay off, but I think the process here is is a very good one for him to go for it there. Yeah, this is something you see similar situations like this uh, uh, more often near the end of regulation. But uh, if there's like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, or it's fourth and short, and you kick a field goal to tie the game, that's a terrible situation to be in. Kicking off with a tie score late in the game is an awful situation to be in because the, the other team now has a chance to run the clock and kick a field goal to beat you with the gun. And this, this is a similar one. It's an overtime, so it's not quite the same, but it's the same idea. The field goal here, uh, first of all, it's a long field goal. There's a reasonable chance we miss it, maybe 30%, maybe 40%. You can do the math on that, but it's, it's, it's certainly not 10. Yeah. And uh, there's a reasonable chance we miss the field goal. And if we hit it, we don't necessarily win anyway. In fact, like you say, there's a good chance this Vegas offense takes the ball, gets a touchdown, and beats us without us ever seeing the ball again. And I know the Raiders not played well in the second half, but the, the, you know, they rattled off that 20 nothing lead really easy. And they could, you know, could come back, uh, turn it back on just as fast. So here's one where, where, where you know, aggression's the way to go. You, you really want to, in overtime, you want to get a touchdown on that first drive. You don't want to get a field goal and then give the other team a chance to beat you again. You just let's let's take care of business. Let's get this done now uh, and hit the showers with a victory. That's that's the plan. And you know, fourth and one um, had Murray drop back. I'm, I'm sure that uh, a scramble lane had opened. That was his, probably his first read, honestly. Was, you know, if, 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 is there a way I can scurry and get these three feet and keep, have us keep the ball? Uh, wasn't there. He tried the deep pass. The deep pass was almost there. A great play by the Raiders to break it up. That's the way it goes. But no, I, again, uh, Kingsbury made the right decision on that one. 
Yep, and he's been really good the last couple of years and been good to that to that point this year. So not surprising to see that from him and expect to see that moving forward. And, and the Cardinals did end up winning the game. The defense made a play, uh, picked up the fumble, and won that game in the end. So uh, good process, bad result, but then good result in the end. Yeah, it's actually funny. He's always high in our fourth down aggression rankings, but that's usually because he likes to go for it on fourth and medium in mid, near midfield, out of field goal range. Um, he had, I figure it was last year or the year before, but he had the two worst decisions um, on fourth downs where he chose to kick short field goals on fourth and one. Uh, so the, 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 the field goal bug has been a problem for him. He, he, know, he knows, you know, to avoid the short punt uh, and, and try to keep possession there. That's a good thing. But he, he's had a tendency before to kick these field goals in, uh, in, uh, in uh, fourth and short situations. And good for him for trying it here, even though it didn't work out. Yeah. And I think those field goals you're referencing, I think it was 2020, if I recall. Um, one was against Miami, and I think it was a situation where they tied it up late. Miami yeah, came down right. and kicked a field goal to win it. And then the other, they were within three weeks of each other. It was like one week he made one, the next week was okay, and then the following week it was another bad decision. So two of those, somewhat late in the later third of the season, I think. Um, and that, that was right. bad. He's coming back from that for the most part, but yeah, he's, he's definitely got a tendency to do that. And then Moving on to another coach who has a tendency to go for it. We know Doug Peterson, who I remember from Philadelphia in their Super Bowl season, was phenomenal uh, going forward on fourth down, just very aggressive. He had one his first year. Fourth, down. fourth and three at the Indy 47 was the first drive of their, their first drive of the game after intercepting Matt Ryan. Got eight yards, went on to score a touchdown. The big one for me, and this was uh, Mike Tanier's, his pick for best decision that we talked about on Monday was the fourth and one at the Colts five. They're already up 17. It's the end of the third quarter. Instead of taking the easy points for a field goal, you know, at that point you're in the closer than an extra, than a field goal or than an extra point. So in the 95% range to make that, but chose to go for it because a field goal, even though the, they're pretty much guaranteed points are very, very close to guaranteed. It's it makes a three-score game a three-score game. You go from 17 to 20, whereas yeah. they scored the touchdown on this play, went up 24 nothing, and really never looked back. Yeah, it's kicking the field goal there. It's a you know the, the bigger lead, but it's the same idea. Is you don't want to kick a field goal when you're up three points late, because now you turn a one score lead into a one score lead, and you have forced the other team to go for a touchdown, which will beat you. Yep. You, you, you don't you have taken the option to go for the tie off the table. You're forcing them to try and beat you. That's that's bad. Uh, obviously, a seventeen no, a seventeen point lead is safer than a three point lead. But it's the same idea. And it's fourth and one. You're rolling at that point. Uh, let's hammer this nail in the coffin. Like I said, let's, let's win this game now and hit the showers. Uh, take the last, what would it be, 17 minutes off, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and it worked out. And uh, it, it turns out they probably didn't need to because the Colts looked like garbage. But <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't give the Colts a chance to rally. They didn't give the Colts a chance to get their act together. They, they kept the pressure on. And uh, they had a fourth down on the first drive, too. Uh, when the game, well, I think it was the first drive, but it was, it was yeah. in the first quarter. It was close. Yeah, first drive, yeah. Yeah, they had fourth down near midfield. And, oh, it's right here. Yeah, fourth and three of the Indy 47. And, uh, you know, let, 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 let's get this lead. Playing with leads is great. And they, they get the fourth down there, go on a score. It wasn't a great, uh, uh, you know, overwhelming day for the Jacksonville offense. It was the, the, the defense that smothered them. But those two plays, gave, you know, that, that's 14 points that's on the scoreboard that they don't get if they punt. So, you know, they were aggressive and it worked out. Yeah, and that one at the end of the game is, is or the end of the third quarter is kind of the opposite of the Minnesota one, where in this situation the 
Jaguars are going to win, you know, nine times out of 10 at this point. They were over 90% win probability, but takes the more aggressive decision, the one that gets them even higher in win probability. And it paid off and they won the game. Like I said, Colts not looking very good. We'll get to Frank Reich momentarily, talk about him more specifically. But yeah, Jacksonville, Doug Peterson continuing his aggressive ways, which you, you really like to see, but even, you know, with a new team, Trevor Lawrence, they're kind of getting a, a reset almost from last year. And that offense, you know, they're they're looking pretty good. Jacksonville, I think, is top 10 in DVOA. Is that right? Through through two games? Uh, I want to say that's right. I think Lawrence was the second or third quarterback this week. But, you know, we, we talked about it last week. They should have beat Washington in week one. They're, they were kind of the uh, – uh, like the Broncos. They, they screwed up in the red zone. They, Travis Etienne dropped a touchdown pass. There was uh, – I think they kicked a short field goal. But – they, they probably played better than Washington week one or should have won that game. They blew out the Colts here. It didn't look, didn't look like they belonged in the same field. Um, so the Jaguars are good. And uh, I'll toot my own horn a little bit. We did our staff predictions uh, this, you know, right before the season started. Which team do you think is going to most likely to beat the DVOA projection? And I, I took the Jaguars. Um, then the, big, the biggest reason is addition by subtraction. They fired the worst NFL coach any of us has ever seen. And they hired a guy who is more than semi-competent. That's a huge improvement. Um, and, and, and so far, that's been good for me. Yeah, absolutely good start to the season for the Jaguars. And you mentioned Urban Meyer gone from there. He was on the hot seat, you know, a few weeks into the season last year. It's kind of, it's kind of tough sometimes to, to say a coach is on the hot seat in week three. And we've got a few coaches that I want to talk about. One of these three is definitely not like the other. I'll, I'll start with him first. And that's Matt Rule there in uh, Carolina. He was 25th in our coach rankings in, or sorry, 30th in 2020, his first year in Carolina, was second to last in fourth down decision making. The team overall was 19th in EPI, which is on field performance. They weren't more terrible, close to average. Last year, improved to 25th in our coach rankings, 12th in CCI. He was much more aggressive last year, but 32nd in EPI. We know how bad they were, especially after that, I think, a 3 0 start. He's last in net win probability gained in week two this year. I don't really think it's any shock or any surprise to say, uh, or even you know, too far to say that Matt Rule is already on the hot seat. Would you? Uh, Matt Rule's been on the hot seat for at least a year. Uh, <laughs> the, only, the only question is how hot the seat is. Uh, I, I talked about those staff predictions. I picked the Carolina Panthers to get the first overall draft pick in 2020. I picked the Carolina Panthers to get the top overall draft pick in 2021. I was wrong both years, but I was all set to pick them for a third year in a row in 2022. And then they traded for Baker Mayfield, and I changed my mind, and I picked the New York Giants instead. So, of course, the Giants beat the Panthers and are 2-0, and this is probably the year the Panthers are going to get the first overall draft pick. And I'm mad at them for that, for doing worse. than uh, They're making me angry for having a little faith in them. Yep. But when you... Acquire your starting quarterback not in February or March or April. It was uh, uh, June, maybe, when the trade was finalized. You're, well, July 6th, I think it was. Was this? July 6th, just after July the 4th 6th. of July. Yep. You're well into your off-season program. You're, 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 you've been wasting now months of prep on uh, the, the guys you had who needed replacing. Then you spend a couple of weeks, weeks toying around with the idea that, oh, it's a competition mm-hmm. when – it's not. It was never a competition. There was no chance that uh, Baker Mayfield was going to be a worse quarterback than Sam Darnold if you've watched Darnold play, I don't know, ever. Uh, so they wasted time with that. So, so they're another team 
that uh, like Denver, they're, they're still a lot of the time, it looks like they're ready for their preseason opener, but we're two weeks into the season now. And Denver has the excuse of this, you know, as a first time head coach, a lot of new pieces in place. Carolina is here by choice, man. <laughs> they had their whole off season to do this. They just sat around twiddling their thumbs and they do the Mayfield trade late. And there's no, not a lot of other significant changes. It's the same guys they've had in place. They know it's going to happen. They're here almost by design and it's, it's sad and depressing um, it, the question is not how hot is his seat. The question is, does he survive the season? Uh, do you yeah. think he'll make it to Thanksgiving at this point? Uh, and I, I don't know the answer to those questions. I'm not really sure. You know exactly. There, there's some teams that, you know, there's no point in firing him before the end of the season because you're not going to hire a guy before that anyway. Uh, so you may as well let him play out the string. But yeah. I don't know, man. I, I I don't see any way he can be back coaching the Panthers in 2023. I can't. I don't see any way that's possible. Yeah, I forget who it was that tweeted it, uh, but saying this stretch, this next stretch, he might not even make it to week eight because they've got the Saints, the Cardinals, the 49ers. They go to L.A. to face the Rams, and they come oh, back goodness. home to face the Buccaneers. Okay, like, so, so we're 0-7. We're 0-7. Yeah, so if they go 0-7, start 0-7, and do not look any better than what they've looked – he may be gone before we even get halfway through the season. And I forget who it was. Um, I, c- I can't keep track of all the, the different writers and who writes what chapters in the Almanac. But in this chapter, they said, referenced the, the quote from Rule last year saying, hey, it took Jay-Z like seven years to get fans yes. to sort of make it. He's not going to make it half that, <laughs> I don't no, think. So no. he, he doesn't have that that leverage or that, uh, that leniency or that patience from the organization, I don't think. No, so I, 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 I don't agree. think he's – I don't think telling the fan base we have a nine-year rebuilding plan as a way to build confidence and, and uh, build job security. Yeah, and they really didn't do, again, from the ONAC, didn't do that badly in the offseason. They made some, before Baker Mayfield even, they, they made some good draft picks. They, they did some good things, but it wasn't, wasn't the, the, the moves you would think a rebuilding team would need to make and that they never really – bought into the fact that, hey, they, they're in a rebuild. They need to. They don't really have the, the team or coach to compete, I think. It's almost like they figure as long as Tom Brady is still playing like Tom Brady, we may as well just wait. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not even not even try until uh, the Bucks have to make a move for quarterback, and then the division will be ours. Yeah, give give Mayfield a shot, maybe get that number one pick, get a quarterback, and then then maybe Brady will retire for real this year and they'll, they'll be able to compete. But, yeah, things not looking good for Matt Rule right now. Again, long season, though. They could still uh, end up uh, winning some games, especially you said Baker Mayfield isn't going to be as bad as Darnold, but it doesn't look great so far. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. This next one may be a little surprising. Frank Reich, we just talked about him a moment ago. He was second in our head coach rankings last year. Fourth in 2020, he's been first and second in the fourth down decision-making the last couple of years. The team has been good. But this weekend, I've got a couple really close friends who are Colts fans that are not happy. Yeah. <laughs> Most Colts fans aren't not really happy with Frank Reich. And I think at one point, it may just be because I'm here, I live in southern Indiana, uh, maybe because of my geographic location on Twitter. But Fire, Fire Frank was on there uh, as a trending either hashtag or just the two words people were typing out there. I'm not so sure he's on the hot seat, but it's not been a good start for him. No, Caleb Clinton wrote about this in Film Room. I think it just went up today, actually, uh, or yesterday. But uh, talking about Jacksonville's upset 
over Indianapolis uh, and how uh, mostly what it meant for the Colts and how they've kind of had this system really since Andrew Luck retired where we've got our team. We'll do a rent a quarterback for a year and contend and we'll probably replace that quarterback the next season. And it's generally worked for them. They've been, I don't think they've been playoffs every year, but they've been a, a good team over the past uh, half decade plus. So uh, it's been working for them, but they have been terrible in uh, in two games here in 2022. They've looked this up. Their first game went to overtime, so they've really played nine quarters this year. In those nine quarters, they scored 17 points once, they scored three points once, and they were shut out the other seven times. <laughs> so it's been brutally bad for, for the most of the year. Um, and that's against Houston and Jacksonville, who I know I'm high on Jacksonville, but it's not like they're running, getting run by Baltimore or Miami or Buffalo or uh, uh, Philadelphia. The defenses aren't great. I think we're higher on the, the Jacksonville offense than the defense, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, probably, yeah, but the, the, the Jacksonville secondary still got some issues. But, yeah. but the, you know, the, the, these, are, these are bad teams that are making the Colts look foolish. Um, and it may be time for a blow up and, and that, you know, obviously it would mean Matt Ryan won't return and that's, he's playing his way out of a job too. Uh, but if, you know, what do you do when you blow things up? But the first thing you usually do is fire the head coach and get a new face in there and just try something new. You, even if it's just change for the sake of change. But when you're as bad as this Colts team has looked so far this year, you need change for the sake of change. Yeah. And this, they're in the division that really is, is probably or consider the consensus would agree is the weakest division. Um, not really expected having Tennessee was the one seed last year. I know they mentioned that a ton on Monday night and people talking about that Bills game. That's not a one seed Titans team. Uh, they were the worst one seed last year in DVOA history. I think would have even been the worst two seed. Uh, so yeah. really had a shot, you know, with the, the defense that's been pretty good over the years, pretty good offensive line. It's not what it was. They've got some guys that are coming back from injury. Uh, but it looked like Matt Ryan was all, all they needed, you know, just a, a stable presence at quarterback, and he has not been able to come through yet. To be fair, too, they were missing um, – Michael Pittman was out this past weekend as well as Alec Pierce, who hadn't really looked great the first week. He dropped the touchdown in the end zone. Uh, we're kind of thin at receiver. But still, that's a game, you know, they should win, win with, with Matt Ryan and the rest of that team. So I completely agree with, the, with you that – and Jimmy, it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is available anymore. There were talks about, you know, who he would get traded to at some point when a quarterback, uh, a, a team needed a quarterback. He's not an option anymore. Uh, yeah. So they they have to stick with Matt Ryan at this point. It seems like I don't I don't think he can be benched. Um, it, it, I think Ellinger is their backup from Texas. Uh, oh yeah, I think you're right. Um, and no, he's not a guy. Yeah, he's not a guy you want to turn to unless you unless you wave, unless you're waving white flag, which which they might do. Um, yeah, late in the season, if they're out of it, if they keep playing like this, he may make it a shot. Even with those uh, uh, missing receivers, as you noted, but uh, he'll point out in the film, there were throws there to be made, and Matt Ryan was not making them. Um, they, they, they got problems up and down this roster all of a sudden. It, it, it's, it, it's gone dark quickly. Yeah, it, not looking good at Indianapolis. Um, someplace it wasn't looking good for a while on Sunday, and then turned it on. We talked about Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury, I, I don't necessarily think he's on the hot seat either. He's been top 10 in our coach rankings the last couple of years. As we mentioned, he's finished highly in our aggressiveness rankings, uh, has had some some short field goal moments, especially a few inside the 10, I think, in his first year just a couple of years ago, had multiple of those. He's number one in net win probability gain this season, though, and he was this week. 
But we've seen the way that offense has really faltered down the stretch. And this year, we're absolutely terrible against the Chiefs. And then just this past week for, what, three quarters, we're awful. And then Kyler Murray made things happen, and, and they took it to overtime. But Kingsbury, there have been a lot of criticisms of him in his, what, it's been three or four years that he's been there. Do you think he's a guy that if things don't turn around, um, or they, they kind of turned around, they got the win this week. They're only one of one. But – is he at risk of losing his job and being out in Arizona this year, you think? Uh, it's a really tricky situation. I have a weird, um, almost a blind spot for Arizona. And they usually play well in the first half of the year and bad in the second half of the year. And I must just watch them more in the second half of the year. Because I feel like every time I watch them, I think this team is mostly not good. They have some highlights and some fluke plays here and there. It's fun to watch Kyler scramble around and make guys, you know, make defenders look silly. And that's all fun. But he also makes a lot of really bad mistakes. And I was screaming at the Raiders at the end of this game to blitz him. They weren't getting any pressure. He had, I think it was the, the, the two-point conversion where it took him 28 seconds and more than 80 yards of actual distance covered yeah. to gain two yards and two points. <laughs> um, the, the funniest two-point conversion I've ever seen. But the Raiders were playing that with a two-man rush and a defensive tackle playing spy. And you saw how well that worked out. <laughs> and you 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 can't do that. You you need you, you can blitz him and make him make mistakes. And uh, the Raiders refuse to. And I think it's because they don't have faith in their corners, honestly. But that's the topic for another day. Um, I'm looking for it now. There was a comment on Discord that Aaron made. Aaron Schatz made uh, something about a, a, a huge mistake the Cardinals have made in this game. And he's like, "How could the Cardinals have made the mistake?" And I asked, "Have you ever watched the Arizona Cardinals play football? They make terrible mistakes all the time." And sometimes they overcome those mistakes. And sometimes, like we saw in the playoffs last year, they don't. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Um, will they, if they win nine or ten games, sneak into the playoffs and, and lose in the wild card round again, do they keep him? Probably. Uh, and they, they did just sign him to a huge extension as well. So you probably, yeah. probably have to go like four and uh, – what would that be? Uh, four and 13 yeah. to lose his job or something. Losing him to Seattle, that might do it. Um, so it would take a really bad year for him to lose his job. But, you know, they're, they're, it's some of the same things we've seen. You know, it's been years now. And he's he's still running a very rudimentary, very simple offense. No no team runs a less diversified route tree. And they don't throw any ins. They don't throw any drags. And anything in the middle of the field is just off the table. And that may be a function of Murray's height. I don't really know. But uh, it's, it's been two years in a row now that when we do the DVOA by routes article, and the Cardinals just missing from some of these data points. There's this not there. Uh, it's all no, don't do Don't do any motion. Don't do anything that might tip the defense's hand or give the offense any kind of break. Never do any motion. Just spread the field uh, somewhere. If you spread it, a, a curl route will open for a seven yard gain. Just hit that curl over and over again. And uh, we'll throw in lots and lots of wide receiver screens, even though they're bad plays. And uh, Hey, it's third and 12. Kyler save our bacon. And Kyler says, okay. And he saves their bacon and they move on. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's a weird situation, and, one, and and I guess there's a lot to be determined here. Uh, I don't think it's likely unless, like I say, they completely elapse and we're talking a top-five draft pick team. Yeah, I agree, and you mentioned it. <clears throat> signed him the extension. Kyler Murray obviously got his extension. They came in together uh, there and, and want to keep them together. And something, too, that could, we could see, they struggle in the beginning of the year. And how many times have we seen a team do that and then the back half of the year come on strong, make the playoffs or make a push for the playoffs. And that recency by, oh, they were playing really well into the year, whether it was, you know, 
some great plays, you know, by the players, not necessarily the coaching overcoming their coaching or the coach does kind of do something really good at the end and they keep their job. Like I think Dan Quinn a few years ago, the, the Falcons kind of went on a run the back half of the season and he was there for another year and then got fired to think the middle of, of the next season. Okay. This is the perfect example of what I'm talking about though. Uh, Cause I, I forgot about this. The mistake that Aaron Schatz was referring to on a game tying two point try, the Cardinals had to delay a game because they weren't prepared to run the two-pointer that they knew they were going to run down eight in down eight at the end of the game, right? I think it was the last play of the game, in fact. Um, but there's the end of the game, you know, they, they took a delay game. And I asked, have you ever watched a Cardinals game? Because this is the kind of mistakes they make all the time. But they make these mistakes, and then Kyler Murray bails them out, like he did on on, on against the Raiders. It happens all the time. There's, there's no team that succeeds in spite of themselves like Arizona. And, and that's the way it's been. But as long as they keep succeeding, uh, his job is probably safe. Yeah, and you mentioned Calamari scrambling around on that play. It reminds me of a friend. I mentioned this to Mike, too, on Monday. A friend shared a tweet that said, uh, it was, Kyler Murray scrambling reminds me of a toddler that steals your iPhone and runs around. It's like, and I'll never be able to unsee that. And it is. He, he kind of like <laughs> those quick motions, just kind of running all over the place, looking like he doesn't even know where he's going, but makes it work. He, he, he scampers. He's itty-bitty, obviously, that goes without saying. But he, he also, I, I don't know if, uh, um, maybe they don't make helmets in his size, but his helmet looks like too big for him, right? He looks yeah. like he's, his, he's borrowed his older brother's helmet. So this little fellow with a great big head just running around, and he, he's, I don't, I don't know if he's the fastest quarterback in the league, but he, I, I know he takes more steps per yard than any other player. His feet are just a blur, right? And uh, it, it and defenders are falling down all over themselves. It, it's it's great comedy, even when it works. <laughs> it's yep. it, it, it's, uh, it, it's very fun to watch. He shouldn't be able to do a lot of the things he does, but he does because he's Kyler Murray. Absolutely. And you mentioned the the Discord. Uh, I just want to take a moment to remind everyone we do have a Football Outsiders Discord, and we're live live tweet or live discording the games on Sundays, Monday night, Thursday night. That is available, and you can also get some really good articles, premium stats. Uh, betting picks uh, on the Football Outsiders website with an FO Plus subscription. You also get an ad-free experience when you sign up for FO Plus. That's at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. So don't forget about that. And the FO Discord has a lot of good conversation going on during those games. Now we're going to yeah. move on. Oh, no, just, before, just, sorry, before real, just before we do real quick, I, 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 I'm kind of repeating myself here, but about how uh, you know the Cardinals are – succeed in spite of themselves and how they rely on Kyler Murray. Nathaniel Hackett's team takes a delay a game in a critical situation and we're calling for him to be burned at the stake. Yep. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury's team makes a delay of game in a critical situation and we all forget about it because Kyler Murray. Nobody bats an eye like the, the, the yeah. memes. It's yeah. And, and part of it, I guess maybe because they, that he made it work. Uh, yeah, he didn't the, point, though, yeah. the second game, but the, the Kyler Murray covers work. a lot of Kingsbury's mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen a team with a quarterback or a players covering the mistakes of the coaches, but a lot to be proven there still in Arizona, even with last year's playoff berth. We'll move on now to our previews. We want to talk about the, the biggest game of the week. I think yeah, there's no question is Buffalo at Miami. Maybe didn't seem this way coming into the season. Expected Buffalo to be good, but Miami, man, looked bad for three quarters. Maybe not bad, but did not look great for three quarters. Down to points, um, <laughs> you know, and then go on this crazy comeback, win the game, six touchdowns from Tua. Uh, what are you expecting in this game between these two teams? We've got um, 
Oh, goodness. Sean McDermott. <laughs> Drawing a blank on the name. we got Sean McDermott, who's been there in Buffalo for a few years, consistently mm-hmm. finishes well in our coach rankings. Top five, uh, or top five the last two years. Top ten in fourth down aggressiveness. He's third in net win probability game through two weeks. Had a couple really good calls this past week. Uh, Miami, Mike McDaniel, on the other hand, is – we don't know. Uh, he's a first-year coach. I guess kind of stumbled over my words there, but he's yeah. been really good. Uh, he had a, a questionable punt last week, fourth and four from midfield. It's a mid-range punt, you know, not a big deal. But did have two really good calls in his own territory, fourth and one at his own thirty-four when he was they were down seven, and then at his own forty-five, down fourteen, went for it, converted both. So really gutsy calls from first-year coaches. What are you looking for as far as uh, strategy and maybe how these two teams try and play each other this week? Well, beyond just I, I, I think Buffalo is a better team than Miami still, and I like Miami, but I think Buffalo is still you know the head and shoulders above thirty-one of the teams right now. Absolutely, but I think it's a really, really bad matchup for the Dolphins, especially based on what happened in uh, in uh, last week. I think the game was in Baltimore, um, but the Dolphins fell behind because they gave up big plays in the passing game and a long run to a quarterback. And Josh Allen makes big plays in the passing game. And he's probably not quite as fast as Lamar Jackson, but he's capable of making big runs by himself. And and probably doesn't run as much as he did as a rookie in his first early years. But when they, they need him to run, man, he's he's scary. He's he's big and athletic and fast, and and uh, he's way more physical than Lamar Jackson. He can run you over as well. So the Bills look like a team that can uh, beat the Dolphins the same way the Dolphins got beat last week. And this is the real key point: How did the Dolphins make their comeback by chucking the ball deep to Tyreek Hill? And even though the passes kind of hung in the air and they were underthrown, it didn't matter because you can underthrow a guy by two yards when he's five yards behind everybody else. If you can try deep balls against Buffalo, oh, you're in trouble, man. You're going to have a long, long day because everyone pays so much attention to Josh Allen. They didn't notice last year how great this Buffalo defense was and got them to the playoffs. The best defense by DBOA against deep passes we have ever measured. When we got that back by direction, go back to the mid '90s at least, and there's wow. never been a never been a defense that excelled against the uh, deep ball like this team did. And it's only two weeks, but they're number one against the deep ball again. Uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and I think they've actually been injured for part of this. But they're they're, they're this Buffalo secondary and the, and, and the pass rush with Von Miller, you do not have a chance to hit this deep ball accurately. Number one in DVOA against the deep ball. And that's in two games against Tennessee, which is kind of all right. And Tannehill's been good for a while, but their receivers are old and old in Robert Woods and unproven in uh, Traylon Burks. But week one was Matthew Stafford and the Rams. And that team won a Super Bowl by, Super Bowl by throwing deep over and over again. So <laughs> this Bill's secondary, you're not going to – Tyree Kill is not going to have a day like he had – uh, against uh, against Baltimore, uh, it's a totally different White, you mentioned, got some injuries there. He's not even back yet. He's, he's not back yet. They'll be, they'll be better when he gets back. So they're going to have to honestly, and this is going to sound uh, maybe weird coming from a football outsiders guy, but they're going to have to get their running game going uh, and, and win with a balanced patience to, to attack because uh, trying to throw bombs against this ball, this Buffalo defense is is asking for trouble. Uh, and unfortunately, Buffalo, we have number two against the pass and number three against the run by DVOA. So there, there's not really a good solution. <laughs> but yeah. um, uh, of of the two, you're probably going to have better luck running the ball as often as you can and uh, and trying to make that work. So, like I say, it's, it's, it's just a bad matchup for Miami. I, I, I like I 
Uh, I was high on them coming into the year. I, I almost picked them ahead of Jacksonville for my, my team to be the DB, DB away projection. And, um, and they'll probably, you know, they'll be a playoff contender, I'm sure, for 18 weeks. We'll see if they actually get into the field. It's going to be crowded in the AFC, uh, which looks like a way better conference, you know, especially the top right now. Um, but uh, this th- this week, I do not like their odds. I don't, I don't think I like, don't like the chances very much at all. Yeah, Buffalo is just a, a scary team. I, I went against against taking them in our Super Bowl predictions beginning of the year. Ended up taking the Chargers in the AFC just. Not completely just to be contrarian, but we've seen the best team doesn't always make it. Uh, or a yeah. lot of times doesn't. It's a long season, but they are looking. Look at right now, they're making me look dumb for that pick, I think, because they are just, like you said, head and shoulders above 31 other teams. It is a long season. But you mentioned that run game from, from Miami, and it, it's going to be tough, as you mentioned. Buffalo's been good against the run. They held the Rams to less than three yards per carry, held Tennessee to three yards per carry. Derrick Henry had 13 carries for 25 yards, and he yep. did get a touchdown there on the goal line. I think a lot of us, or most of us, football outsiders and a lot of people in the industry in general, did not expect a big year from Derrick Henry. Maybe he'd get the volume, but efficiency-wise, he was already kind of – or was a lot less efficient last year uh, in the first half of the season before he got hurt than he was the year past. But, it, you know, holding him like that after he went off against them last year, had like 130-something yards and, and three touchdowns, it's going to be tough for Miami to get anything going. Like you said, they're going to have to go with a balanced attack and it, it's going to be tough when you're playing a defense. That's really good at just about everything. Yeah. And then look at the other side of the ball. Uh, Miami's defense through two games. Uh, we got them top 10 and against the run, but next to last against the pass and uh, Buffalo's a team beyond us being good. You know, Sean McDermott's when, if a team wants to just take away the run and let Josh Allen beat them, He'll call a dozen passes in a row. He doesn't care. He's not gonna. He's he's no slave to the ground game. This is not. This is not a Pete Carroll or a Buddy Ryan. If if you're gonna give him the pass, he's gonna take the pass and beat your ass. And uh, that's that's what Buffalo's boys to do here against Miami. Yeah, I think could end up being a better get. Like I said the most anticipated matchup. I think from what we've seen from Miami so far. Uh, could be a little bit closer race in that division than a lot of people thought it would be. You mentioned you were high on Miami coming in this year, maybe expected to be closer than what a lot of people think, but they've they've looked like they can compete so far, at least. They didn't necessarily have a great game in week one, but you know won that game, and then the big comeback showed their potential, I think, yesterday against uh, a, a good Baltimore team that's, that's favored or expected to win that division near the top of our preseason DVOA ranking. So it'll be big. I, what would expect both of these coaches, I mentioned how they've been pretty good fourth down aggressive-wise, taking advantage of those decisions to, to do the same. We saw McDermott in the big game against New England last year had like four or five fourth downs they went for it, got touchdowns on two of the four drives or three of the four drives. So expect him to take advantage of those situations and and maximize the opportunities. We've seen from McDaniel so far that he's likely to do the same as well in a, in a big matchup there. And McDaniels – I. He's so fascinating because just personality-wise, he's unlike any coach I can ever see in the NFL. He, there's a a, a, a few, uh, uh, you know, only a limited number of personality types you see. And you, you get the guys who are just seem angry all the time, like Bill Belichick. Uh, you got the guys who are cheerleaders, like a Pete Carroll or a Dan Campbell. Uh, you got guys who are sort of father figures, like an Andy Reid, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember ever seeing a guy like Mike McDaniel who just comes off like, and I say this with love and 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 brotherhood, like a complete nerd. Like I, <laughs> I was expecting that the word to come out of your mouth. If you didn't say it, I was going to because that's what it looks like. And I, I like he, uh, he, he seems to be really really good at coaching football. But I hope someday I have a chance to sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons with him. I think that'd be awesome. 
the the people's man the the, cat, the, the cat man. Man. but yeah he the first time you know when he he uh seeing him you know giving his press conference and stuff he almost looks like when you're i had a, a teacher in high school who looked like he was a student you know just that guy almost looks like he's a, a high school or college student just kind yeah, of he's, in, you know, he's, still, he's still only 37 he's still eight years younger than tom brady yeah. <laughs> um i'm trying to remember what instrument he plays things like the 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 not the trombone, but the the the, the flugelhorn or something. He does it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a big matchup. To look forward to. Then we we each like we did last week. If you were with us, picked our own matchup that we're looking forward to coaching wise. Vince, I will let you go with yours. Um, I'll let you lead off first. Which game are you looking at coaching wise? And uh, what are you, what are you thinking in, in your pick there? I am tempted to just make this the Nathaniel Hackett show and say I'm going to tune into this uh, floating barge fire every week until it stops being entertaining. Uh, and, and to be honest, that's also an interesting matchup match the other way. It's Denver and San Francisco on a Sunday night, which means it's Kyle Shanahan versus Russell Wilson again. And uh, Kyle Shanahan's record against Russell Wilson is bad. It's something, something like 4-17, and 17, something, something along those lines. Um, so, you know, that that's – Interesting to see how that changes now that Wilson's on a new team. But I'm going to go a different way. Uh, more important game and a more interesting game featuring one coach we've talked a lot about today. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday afternoon. Sean McVay at Cliff, at Cliff Kingsbury. Both teams are one and one like most teams that are in the NFL right now. It's a very uh, even league at this point. But a four-way tie in the NFC West. and The, the winner gets a leg up. First uh, win in the division for anybody in the NFC West. And it's funny because each team lost badly in week one. The Rams got boat raced by the Bills, and the Cardinals got just 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 plucked in the hands of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. And then they had sort of opposite games in week two. The Rams built up a big lead uh, against Atlanta and then nearly blew it, whereas the Cards fell behind by a giant margin and then rallied to win. So uh, both teams have a lot of question marks. Both have a lot to prove. Um and it'll be, you know, can how does Sean McVay go about defending Kyler Murray? Does he try to blitz him like I've said most teams should do? Because he'll he'll you can force him into making mistakes, but most teams don't have Aaron Donald. And so does he just sit back, let Donald wreck havoc in the middle of the field, uh, make Murray uncomfortable from there, and count on Jalen Ramsey and company uh, to shut down this uh, crew of Arizona Arizona receivers? And frankly, both the Rams cornerbacks and the Cardinals receivers. Neither of those units has looked very good this year. So that's kind of a weakness on weakness matchup for, for through two games. Um, and then Arizona is just always a question mark, and but always fun to watch. <laughs> um, how, how, how are they going to try to contain Matthew Stafford? You know, they, they blitzed uh, Patrick Mahomes like crazy. Honestly, don't, I'm not sure if they, how, how they fared against uh, 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 or how they chose to play Derek Carr last week and the, the Raiders. I'm not sure how much they blitzed, but Blitzing Matthew Stafford is a lot like blitzing Patrick Mahomes. He'll burn you. Um, he, he had an even better DVOA against the Blitz than Mahomes did last year. And he was a very average quarterback against zone coverage. So the Cardinals have been an aggressive defense this year, and it has burned them. And if they're aggressive again on Sunday, it will probably burn them again. Yeah, that will be a fun one to watch to, to division opponents. Those games seem like they're always – Always good matchups. I was kind of put this, you know, I, I mentioned it to you about Baltimore, New England, maybe being a big matchup. We have two of the, the best coaches in the game right now. But I went another way, too, and went Detroit and Minnesota. Uh, yeah. Maybe kind of a surprising pick there, but Detroit 
Uh, you know, Dan Campbell's team is top 10 in DVOA through two weeks, I believe. Yeah. No opponent adjustments yet, but we saw them play very hard last year. They play for him, and they're, you know, looking decent so far. Had the big comeback, almost beat Philadelphia. Uh, this week got up big on Washington early. Let them come back a little bit, but I don't think they were ever really in danger of losing. It didn't seem like watching that one. Minnesota, obviously, coming off that disappointing loss to Philadelphia in week two, just on Monday night. And as far as the fourth down aggressiveness going, that's kind of where I come from, obviously, being on the edge sports side for so many years and, and being really deep into the win probability analysis and fourth down analysis. Dan Campbell finished 15th overall last year, which is pretty good for a rookie coach with a not-so-good team because a lot of times you see them finish pretty low in CCI because it's their first year. They don't want to look bad in their first year on the job, you know, going for it, failing when they don't really have the team. But he was very aggressive and it finished fifth in our fourth down metric. And I remember one specifically last year was in their, when their first win came against Minnesota. Uh, I think too late, they had fourth and one at their own 28, went for it, trying to get that to burn more clock. They failed, but they left Minnesota in scoring position, but they also left them with a short field. And knowing, hey, if they score, there's probably going to be enough time. Well, sure enough, Minnesota scored a touchdown. Detroit went down, and that's when uh, Jared Goff threw the game-winning touchdown as time expired. So I'm excited to see this one. Actually has the is tied for the highest total of the, the week this week. So expecting a lot of points in that one, too. So I think it, that'll just be a fun matchup uh, from that point. A lot of fantasy stars in that one. Perhaps surprisingly oh, yeah. from Detroit. No, I really like what I see from Detroit so far. Uh, we, they were a fun, bad team last year, a feisty, bad team last year. And you mentioned all the fourth downs he does, but that, that's not even capturing how, you know, he's an underdog and plays with an underdog, menta- underdog mentality. And they said, let's, let's try everything. It's not just the fourth downs, but a lot of them are fake kicks, fake punts or fake field goals. Yeah. And there's a lot of onside exactly. kicks. And I don't know uh, how many it's been, but, it, you know, Enough that we remember a lot of his onside kicks. He had one in week one against Philadelphia in the third quarter. Um, so he's still doing that. And last year, there was outside of Campbell, there wasn't a lot to like about this team. But this year, they're playing really well. Almon Ross St. Brown has proven his rookie year is no fluke. DeAndre Swift has been very, very explosive. And they got Jamal Williams to be the workload back and let DeAndre be the. Uh, uh, it's, it's almost like a. It's a Basketball comparison, I'm, I'm dated. I don't watch a lot of modern basketball. But uh, Jamal Williams is, uh, uh, if you will, bear with me here, he's Michael Jordan taking most of the shots. Yep. But when they need the three-pointer, the long ball, they go to DeAndre Swift to play Steve Kerr. Yep. Uh, so he's, like, he's the long ball specialist. And uh, it, it's working for him. And Aiden Hutchinson's got a bunch of sacks already. There, there, there's, there's stars in Detroit now. Like, they haven't had in a long time. Yeah, that one should be really fun. Division matchup, too. The other one I, I do want to mention, uh, not going to go too deep in it because it's kind of self-explanatory, not so much of a coaching matchup, but Green Bay-Tampa Bay. We've got Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, I think, only have faced each other a handful of times. You've got Tampa Bay with a uh, lack of wide receivers, and you've got – or perhaps, potentially lack of wide receivers. Mike Evans' suspension was upheld. Not so sure about Godwin and Julio Jones. And then you've got Green Bay, who's got a lack of proven talent at receiver. Sammy Watkins was involved the other night, had a pretty good game, three or four catches for 80 yards, whatever it was. Uh, Lazard came back and caught a touchdown. But outside of that, they're really just trying to lean on the running game with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So be interesting to see how that that plays out uh, between those teams. We saw uh, Tampa Bay win that NFC Championship game a couple years ago with the controversial fourth down field goal decision from LaFleur. Yeah. But just two of the greatest quarterbacks to go at it. 
uh, again, like I said, more of a quarterback matchup than a coaching matchup uh, for me there. Just I think the biggest game, that is the, the prior, or the afternoon, 4.30, 4.30, the big game. So that one looking forward to. So that will do it for us here on our Coach Ranking Show for week two. Uh, again, be sure to join us on the FO Discord tomorrow. That's Thursday night, uh, unless you're seeing this on Thursday. Or if you're seeing this on Friday or Saturday, we've also got the FO Discord go up on Sunday and then throughout the uh, the Monday night football game as well. Don't forget about FO Plus, where you get access to our betting picks, both against the spread and straight up with confidence as well. It'll show you, it'll order them by our confidence in those picks. You get a lot of really good premium articles and statistics on our site, as well as uh, weekly fantasy rankings and research tools there. And then don't forget about that free $100. Like I said at the top of the show, I think everyone likes free money. You can get $100. Underdog will match your deposit up to that $100 using promo code outsiders Vince, thank you for joining us we're two weeks through it seems like before we know it, we're going to be talking about playoff picture and coaches getting fired so for now let's just uh enjoy the football we've got and uh we'll see you next week